You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I just wanted to share with you a few words from our sponsor, Design Crowd. Now, if you haven't heard of Design Crowd, they are an amazing online marketplace that helps businesses outsource their graphics, logos, and web designs with access to over 500,000 designers around the world. And the cool thing is, within a few hours of submitting your design requirements, you'll receive 50 to 100 plus designs from designers around the world, so you have the best chance to pick that perfect design for you. You know, I personally love this option because I use it in my business ventures and projects because it saves me on a few major things in life, such as time, uh, energy, and also the headache of going back and forth with designers. You know, the great thing about Design Crowd is it's affordable, it's scalable, without you even needing an in-house design team, which I absolutely love, and it's that flexibility of going to it whenever you need. So the good folks at Design Crowd are kind enough to offer you as an exclusive Addicted to Success listener, the VIP Custom Design Upgrade Pack, which will save you over $100 on a deluxe project for any type of custom design, including logos, business cards, websites, flyers, and emails. So head over to designcrowd.com success, and the promo code is success. That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Okay, now let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Now, I have Chris Widener here with me today, who is one of the top speakers in the world. He has been a personal development coach since 1988, which, uh, funny enough, is a year after I was born. So, <laughs> it's a little while back. Uh, so, you've been in the game for a long time, Chris. That's amazing. Uh, Chris has also authored over 12 books and was personally mentored by Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar in his early years. Chris, I feel like we have a lot to talk about and I'm looking forward uh, to having this conversation with you. I know there'll be a lot of value here. So uh, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. So Chris, you've uh, been in the coaching game for quite a while now, right? So we just mentioned before, 1988. Uh, What do you feel, based off your experience as a coach, uh, and working with your clients one-on-one, what do you feel really makes a great coach? What took you from good to great? I think the first thing that a coach has to do and really separates good coaches from, from bad coaches or not so good coaches is that a coach has to observe and listen. They have to take in information before they before they just start giving out information. Um, when, when I bring someone into my coaching program, uh, first thing I do is I send them a, a list of about six pages of questions. Uh, three, four, five, six pages of questions. I can't remember how long it is right now, but I want to know everything about them, when they were born, what kind of family they were born into, what birth order they were, because there's been research that's shown that birth order affects the way that people handle their lives and business. I want to know what happened to them as a kid, high school, college, if they went to college, um, if they've been married, uh, what their financial status is, how they feel about money, because everything that we are today is sort of an accumulation of what has gone on before us. And when we understand that, then we can begin to see the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and the obstacles. And I sort of think about it as, a, as in regard to, like, for example, a basketball coach. I played basketball growing up, and, 
And, you know, you've got some short players, you've got some tall players, you've got some fast players, you've got some slow players, you've got good shooters versus rebounders. And, and you know, you wouldn't coach uh, every player the same way. You coach different players different ways based on who they are and what their background is and what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. So really what I think is, is the key to a good coach is first and foremost is being a listener and an observer so that you can establish that sort of platform from which you're going to move forward in helping the person achieve the things that they want to achieve. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So listening and also asking a series of questions to really uh, dig in and, and find out what are those resources that they've uh, extracted over the years, the lessons that they've had to learn and, and what's uh, developed them or molded them into the person they are today. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you I'll give you a good example. I'll give you a good example. I had a coaching client. She was the president of the company in Texas. She had about 100 employees, and she worked for the owner. So there was one single owner, and uh, she worked directly for him. She was the president. And um, she told me, she said, every time he gets a little bit mad or a little bit upset, she says, I just want to run away and, and you know, and go into my office, and I, I, I avoid conflict. Now, if I didn't know her past, I would have probably pulled out, you know, six steps to overcoming avoidance of conflict, right? You know, some sort of just canned answer. But I had sent her the personal profile and she had responded and she told me that her dad was a screamer and her dad would screw, run around the house screaming all the time. And as a little girl, she would always run up to her bedroom and hide under her bed. And so she said, I just don't know why I react this way when he, when the owner gets a little, even a little bit upset. And I said, did you read your personal profile? <laughs> and she said, well, what do you mean? I said, do you, do you, do you not remember the answer you gave me about your dad? And so what was interesting is, is we were able to delve in a little bit more on a personalized side than just the professional canned answer side. And that's why I think it's imperative for a coach to really understand and know the person and the makeup of the person, because that was really the key to unlocking her ability to get along with her boss, was understanding that she had this lifetime of memories of the way she had reacted to her father when she was just in her formative years as a little girl. Wow, wow. That's funny how it can really sit with you for so many years. You know, so, so what I'm hearing here is... uh it's important to have that self-awareness. I know that you're asking the questions, but I think that you're also helping your clients to get more self-aware, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and, and you know, you've heard of the term the Socratic method where you where you ask questions in order to bring people to the answer. Mm. And I think that that, you know, if, if I say, well, here's the answer, do this, this, and this, it's less uh, impactful than if I say, well, what would happen, or what, what, are, what are a couple things you could do in order to be successful? And then they think about it, and they come to the same answers you would have given them anyway. Um, it, it allows it to be drawn out of them as opposed to just dumped on them. And, that, and that's much more powerful because it, it then it's intertwined with their own psyche and their own emotions. They feel like they came up with the answer. They feel more empowered. And so, um, you know, I always tell people when they're, when they're talking to me about getting into coaching with me, I'm not going to mail you a three-ring binder and say, okay, today we're doing session one. Today we're, you know, next time we'll do session two. Because every single person is different. You know, if, if, if an entrepreneur grew up in a home where um, mom and dad were lower middle class, you know, maybe they only made twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and they they eked along, and maybe they didn't even have a rich uncle. They didn't know anybody that had any money, and all they ever heard was, "Well, you know, we're we're lower middle class people. You know, we don't we don't go to college, and we don't have a lot of money. You know, that's who we are, and and that's your lot in life." 
Well, then the kid grows up and he might even have some ambition uh, or she might really want to go build a big business and they, they even find a vehicle to do so. But in the back of their psyche is this, I'm lower middle class. I don't have money. I, I, I don't have nicer things. I'm, I always have to struggle. I always have to drive an older car, you know, and they might not even know it, that that's what's really, you know, burning in the back of their mind. I'm assuming you maybe have had T. Harvecker on your, on your show at some point over the years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his book on the millionaire mind and understanding how those early messages affect us. And so uh, a lot of coaching has to start even before where you're at right now in order to understand so that you can overcome the obstacles and take advantage of the opportunities. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, uh, I was listening to a guy by the name of Morty. I can't remember his last name. He's a great uh, coach on uh, removing your limiting beliefs, right, and crushing your limiting beliefs. And what he said was that uh, there's two common limiting beliefs that a lot of people hold, and it's... uh, I'm not good enough and failure and mistakes are bad, which is like, you know, it's right. when you think about it, it's so limiting, right? And so many people hold that all the time. They hold themselves back from greatness. They hold themselves back from success. Would you say it's important to focus on your empowering beliefs or to really work out, work out a way to, to get rid of those limiting beliefs? Well, I do think you have to get rid of limiting beliefs and the way you get rid of beliefs. I mean, beliefs are, beliefs are things that are, you believe to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not thoughts. I can have any thought I want. I can, I can think the words I'm poor or I can think the words I'm rich. Those are thought. Beliefs are the things that you hold at a deeper core and people say, well, just change your beliefs. It's hard to change your beliefs because you believe them, right? And so the only way to not believe them anymore is to change what's happening in your real world so that you can see something different. And the more you see it being different, the more you believe that that's what's actually true. So I always give this example of um, uh, when you come fresh out of school, you know, fresh out of college and and you don't have any money and you wish you could fly a private jet, but you're not going to tell anybody, well, I believe, you know, within a year I'm going to be flying a private jet because you really don't believe it. You might wish that you are. You might have as a goal that you're going to. But right now, you're a broke sort of just come out of college kid. You've still got student loans or whatever. And you have to drive your car everywhere. Uh, you have to, when you take a road trip, you have to get in your old beat-up car and you drive. But you say, you know what? I do believe that if I'm successful, I'm going to fly. I'm going to get to where I can fly. And then, you know, and a year comes along, your job's going well or your career's building, and now you have that three or $400 where you can actually fly instead of driving your car. Well, you get on the airplane, and now you believe that you're an airplane flyer, right? Oh, I don't have to drive my car anymore. I make enough money. I, I can fly airplanes. But you always have to go sit in the back of the plane, right, because you don't have the $1,000 for the first class. And so you have to do that, that walk of shame past first class. I think it's funny. They always board first class first, and then they all sit there, and, and the unwashed masses walk through, and they try not to make eye contact as you sit in the back of the airplane, right? And, and uh, you walk past through, and you say to yourself, someday, if I'm successful, I'm, I believe I could sit in first class. You can't right now. You don't believe you can right now because you know that you don't have the money to right now, but you believe 
incrementally that you can fly first class. So give it a year or two, and now your business is really, you're selling more, and you're making more, and you're like, you know what? I've got the money now. I want to sit up at the front of the airplane. Now you believe you can, and so you now sit in the first class. And then from first class, your career grows, your business grows, and now you go, you know what? I'm going to charter a plane this time. I've got six of my employees. We've got to take this trip. I'm just going to charter a plane, and I believe that I can do that. So I think that belief is, is grown incrementally. And you grow it incrementally by changing the actuality and, and the reality of your world, right? And so it's easy to go from driving your car across country to flying a private jet if you do it incrementally. It's not so easy if you just say, well, I'm going to fly a private jet by next year. Because your belief deep down inside, you're thinking the thoughts, I'm going to fly a jet, a private jet in a couple of years, but deep down inside your, your thoughts, you don't really believe it. So your beliefs then hold you back from being able to do that. But the way you can get to flying in a private jet later on down in your career is by incrementally changing the, the reality of your life and making it closer and closer to being able to do that. So the same might be true, you know, if you want to lose 100 pounds. You know, you look in the you look in the mirror and you're 100 pounds overweight. You might not believe you can lose 100 pounds, but I know that you believe you can lose 10 pounds. And once you lose the 10 pounds, and you say, "Well, man, I lost the 10 pounds. I could lose another 10 pounds. I've already lost 10 pounds. I've proven I can lose 10 pounds. I can lose another 10 pounds. Now you lose another 10 pounds, and incrementally your belief changes, and pretty soon you're at 50 pounds. You go, "Man, if I've lost 50 pounds, I can actually lose this 100 pounds." And then, you know, whatever it is, a year and a half later, or however long it takes you to, to lose your 100 pounds, now you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at a person who's fit and, and, and you know, well-fed and taken care of and active and, and, and all of that. So I'm a big believer in incrementally changing your beliefs because sometimes it's impossible for us to believe something so big. Wow. I love this. I love that you're touching on this because I feel like a lot of people kind of overshoot they have like these big goals and big dreams, which is great. It's, it's fantastic. It's good to know where you're going with your vision. But yeah, launching too far. I mean, you can really crush yourself. That was a great book I read uh, recently. And uh, what, what was said in this book was really that there's kind of like that zone. Like when you step out into the uncomfortable zone, there's a certain amount of stretch you can have until you snap. And it's unsafe to really go yeah. <laughs> stretch way too much and snap so you scare yourself out of the uncomfortable zone or the growth zone, I like to call it. It's kind of like just just, just curve on the edge, like just hang on the edge a bit, go out a little bit, come back in, go out a little bit till you just keep growing and growing and progressing until you get to the point where you know, two, two years later, it's like, wow, I am flying this plane or <laughs> I'm in first class yeah. you know, every, every trip. So yeah, I get that. I really get that. That's, well, that's it's interesting advice. you use that term it's interesting you use that term snap because when I talk about goal setting, I always talk about how important it is to set the right size goal. People say it's important to set, set goals. It's not important to set goals. It's important to set the right sized goals because if you set it too big, you won't achieve it. If you set it too small, it doesn't motivate you. So the tension, the, the way to find the sweet spot for a goal is to make it big enough to inspire you but small enough to achieve. And I, I love that you use the word snap because I always use a rubber band as an example. Imagine your goal is a rubber band. If you don't stretch it enough, it doesn't hold anything. But if you stretch it too far, it snaps. And so I think a lot of people, who, particularly people who just start getting involved in the success world and, and personal development, they go, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars next year. Well, right now they're making 75 grand, right? Mm -hmm. And so then they, they might even double it, make 150, but they still feel like a failure because they didn't make the million. You know, if they would have said, I'm going to make 150, 
then their mentality would have been, wow, I achieved my goal. I did it. That's great. I doubled my income, but they said it at a million. And so they feel bad because they didn't hit their goal. Right. Or they, they get halfway through the year and they realize they're not going to make a million. And so then they get depressed and then they don't even go make the 150 they would have made. So it's really, really important to set your goals at a, at a, a thing that is big enough to inspire you, but small enough to achieve. Yeah, great advice, Chris. I love that. I love it. So Chris, let's say we have uh, clarity on what we need to do, right? We have the strategy in place. You've asked us the questions. We're getting really self-aware. We've increased our belief, right? And we want to become somebody that is influential within the industry that we're in. Because I know that you've, uh, you've released a book. You've written a book called The Art of Influence, and so what would you feel is really the, the kind of the first step someone can take if they want to be in a place where they can be an influential figure in their industry? Yeah, well, Zig Ziglar, who I uh, used to have a TV show with uh, down in Dallas, uh, who I consider the greatest motivational speaker of all time. He's sort of the, he's almost a caricature of a motivational speaker and, and sort of the gold standard upon which most people have judged themselves. And he was a lovely man as well. Mm. Um, he always used to say, here's the process. Be, do, have. Be, do, have. Most people don't start with be. They start with do in order to have. So people say, well, here's what I want to have. Tell me what I need to do. And it misses the most important fundamental part of a successful life and a successful business. And that's what Zig's called B. So everybody says, tell me what I need to do. And what they really need to say is tell me what to be. And so um, who we are drives what we do. And what we do drives and, and helps us accomplish to have what it is that we want to have. So one of the things that I teach or the primary things that I teach in regard to influence is not what to do, but what to be. So people might say, well, I want to sell more. Tell me, tell me how to do that. And, and there's lots of great selling techniques. And I'm sure you've had lots of great sales leaders on your, on your podcast and talked about how to sell more and those kinds of things. And those things are all great. They're fine. You ought to learn them. You ought to learn how to make good presentations. You ought to learn how to, uh, you know, handle objections and, you know, you ought to learn all your different sales closes and all those kinds of things. But the reality is, is that who you are is going to have a much bigger effect on your long-term success than what you do. Because when you focus on who you are, it will change what you do. And it'll change the way people respond to you and interact with you. So ultimately, when I'm talking about influence, I'm talking about character-based influence as opposed to persuasion-based influence. Most people say, tell me how to persuade people. Tell me how to sell more. And what I always start with is, well, let's talk to you about how to change who you are. And when we change who you are and we get you into a a place where you are uh, living a life of integrity and a positive attitude and a life of service and a life of excellence, um, people are going to be naturally magnetically drawn to you because people want to do business with people who have integrity. They want to do business with people who are positive. They want to do business with people who are, are servant leaders and, and servant business people. They want to do business with people of excellence. They're repelled by people who don't have integrity. They're repelled by people who, who don't live up to standards of excellence. They, they move away from them, right? We're attracted to people who are, are different than us, who are better than us. We want to be, and I don't mean 
better than us, like in terms of God's side of us or anything like that. I mean, just people who are living a more extraordinary life. Those are the people that, you know, they, I always say that there used to be a TV show. You might even be too young for this, but there was a TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Remember that? Well, yeah. there was never a lot. There was never a TV show called, there was never a TV show called Lifestyles of the Poor and Destitute because nobody <laughs> would sit around and watch it. Well, I guess in, unless you count cops or, you know, some of those shows, right? But um, it, it was a Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous because we're attracted to people who've achieved and we're attracted to people who've done well. So when I talk about influence, I start at a very base level and that is who are you and would people be attracted to you when they look at your life, when they look at the way you treat people, when they look at the way that you interact with others, are they attracted or are they repelled? And it starts with those four things that I've mentioned a couple times, integrity, attitude, service, and excellence. And if we can focus on making ourselves before we ever even think about the person we're leading, before we ever think about the person we're selling to, am I a person of integrity? Because integrity breeds trust. And ultimately, the relationship between a buyer and a seller is a relationship of trust. Do I trust you enough to buy this from you? Uh, am I a person who has a positive attitude? Because positive attitude breeds, um, breeds admiration right? We always admire those people who, you know, they go into a tough time and it's like, yeah, you know, Sue, she's going through breast cancer, but man, her attitude is just amazing. I'm just amazed at how she, she's able to face this tough situation and she's still so positive. We admire people like that. And we can do the same thing in business. If, if, because the economies go up and down and industries go up and down. If we're the people who are positive, people are attracted to us. If we're servant-minded, Servant, being a servant-minded uh, leader and salesperson, that creates loyalty because people know that you're not looking out for yourself, you're looking out for them. And, if, and they will go through hell and high water to stick with you through a tough time if you're the type of person who's always put them first. And then excellence breeds respect. People just respect people who, who live a life of excellence. I mean, if, if you have financial problems, you don't go to the guy who's broke, right, for, for advice. You go to the guy that owns uh, apartment buildings and, and, you know, drives a big car and has a nice home and, and has obviously done well for himself. If you want to lose weight, you don't go to the big fat person. You go to the person who's physically fit and eats right because we respect their opinion more. They have more influence in our lives because they live a life of excellence because we're attracted to that. So I really... I really hope that your listeners understand that, that the doing part is great. And we, we go to seminars and we learn what to do, but at a fundamental basis of who we are and what we're going to achieve in life is what Zig called the be part. Who are you? What are you going to be as a human being? What are your core values? What are the fundamental beliefs? And then those things will drive what you do. And then what you do creates what they, what you end up having. And so it's great to think about what you want to have. That's great. Have a better car, have a better life, have more money, have better relationships. And then you have to do those things. But in order to do those things, you have to recreate who you are at a, at a base level. Yeah. I love that you touch on this, Chris. You know, I feel like in a world that we live in right now, where it's, it's about the persuasion and the sales techniques and, um, you know, every man for themselves, uh, you know, it is, it is important that we care. Like those that care win. Because that's, that's like people are yeah. starting to catch on. They can sniff out the BS. They're really like they want people. They want transparency. They want that authenticity. They want someone that gets up that is vulnerable, that has nothing to really hide. They feel they can connect with and trust. And I love that you said that. I remember reading uh, Stephen Covey's uh, 
Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I remember him uh, saying that, you know, back in the day, it was all about the character of a man. It was about, is he uh, within integrity? Uh, is he compassionate? Um, you know, and, and uh, nowadays, a lot of it is all like, oh, what are the persuasion techniques? How do we hook? How do we bait? How do we like sell to this person and manipulate? And so it's great that you brought this up. Especially because on the believe- internet, right? Oh, the internet's flooded with people. And this is the thing. Everyone can walk around slapping the word like life coach on their, as their title uh, on their social yeah. media accounts and call themselves a life coach. Uh, Tony Robbins and I spoke about this. Yeah. Tony just said, look, he's like, what I can tell you is the cream rises to the top. He's like, a lot of these people won't stay in the industry long enough to be known for anything really. Um, he's like, you've got to get into the game of yeah. mastery. And a lot of people aren't ready to master the, the game that they are, they want to play. So... Um, this is great that we're talking about. A lot about of life influence. coaches are people that just a lot of a lot of life coaches are people that just got laid off from their job and now they're trying to figure out how to make an income. And they're like, hey, I'll be a life coach. <laughs> and you know, going back to that integrity, going back to that integrity thing. Um, you know, I always use this example. Anybody can lie and make one sale. So if you're a car salesman and somebody comes up, and you say, yeah, gets a hundred miles to the gallon. It's got a two hundred thousand mile bumper to bumper warranty. You know, it'll sit, it'll sit 14 people. You know, you can lie to somebody and they'll go, wow, okay, I'll buy it. I'll take it. Here's my money. Right. And then they drive off the lot and they realize it doesn't get a hundred miles a gallon. They look, read the warranty. It's really only a 60,000 mile warranty. And all of a sudden they realize they got duped. Well, you made one sale that you won't sell to their brother. You won't sell to their mother. You won't sell them their second car. You won't sell to their friends. But if you have integrity and you tell the truth and you deliver what you say you're going to deliver, that person drives off the lot and then they're at lunch and their friend says, oh man, I got to get a new car. My car just broke down. And they say, you got to go talk to Joe. You got to go talk to Joe because that guy, man, he can really sell and, and he gave me the best deal and he told me the truth. And, you know, so this is the kind of thing that people don't understand. Long-term success is always rooted in integrity. You can have short-term success with no integrity but you can't have long-term success. And, and by success, I mean financial success. You can make the sale or, or make the deal or you know something like that, right? But long-term success is always based in integrity because eventually your reputation gets around and people, they, they talk and they refer. They either talk good or they talk bad, right? They either tell them, stay away from that guy or they say, you know what, you gotta go see this guy. Yeah, yeah, word travels quick as well, especially with the industries and with, uh, you know, the online world right now word gets out very quickly and as you get closer to the top in your industry the circle gets smaller and smaller like everybody knows everybody. like you and i were talking before and we know a number of the same people it's just it's just how it is and so that's why it's so important like your reputation can just be destroyed overnight by a simple lie or a simple uh you know just well, yeah. a get get rich quick thing that you try and get in on and forget that you know it, it's about being integrous so yeah that's a great point. Well, think about think about even five years ago. I don't know how long you've been online and, and really been watching what's been going on. But every couple of years, there's a new quote unquote guru, right? And and they're shooting they're shooting videos from their new home in Costa Rica. And you know, look at me. And you can you can make a hundred thousand dollars a month on the internet too. And all you have to do is buy my two thousand dollar program. And that's how they afforded the house was telling you know selling two thousand people two thousand dollar programs right, mm. and and then two years later everybody realizes that didn't work, and then that guru's on the trash heap of history, and you know I I just I can I'm not going to name them but I can just look back over the last ten fifteen years of being on the internet and just one guru after another guru after another guru, 
and they made a bunch of money. They, they put money in their pocket and they might feel good about that, but nobody listens to them anymore because they realize that they gotten duped. Mm. Yeah. 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 I know a few of them too. <laughs> I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, so you know, the key is the key is, is to have that integrity and build that long term reputation. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's right. And you got to be able to adapt. If you're online and you, uh, you know, you're in that landscape, like that landscape is constantly changing too. And so, something that Tony Robbins said uh, that really stood out to me was he said that it's not what you have; it's who you become. And then that also goes back to what you were mentioning before about like who you be. That is the most important yeah. part. It's like, it's the, the, the emotional part of the operation, not the mechanical, like the mechanical, like the skills and all that. Yes, great. You definitely need that. That's like 20%. But the emotional side, like how you show up in the world and, and, and you know, what level are your beliefs at and how much do you believe in yourself? And, and you know, what's your mindset like around this? Uh, that is what is most important. And that's yeah, how you absolutely. stay current. And the mechanical, the mechanical, you can hire. You can hire somebody to do things. Right, you know, particularly as your business grows. In fact, you should hire the best to do the things that you don't do the best, right? And so, mechanical, you can hire, um, and and that's simple, right? Can the person do the job or not do the job? But what uh, a business owner and a person in a thriving, growing business really needs to think about is not just can they do the job, but who are they? Are they a person who's going to represent my my business well? When a customer walks through the door, can they do the job? Yes. But are they the type of person that my clients and customers are going to like? Because nobody likes to work with somebody who's a jerk, even if they can do the job, right? You might have a web developer who's great at web developer, but they're just a pain in the hind end trying to ever get a hold of, and they're, they're snappy when you talk to them, and eventually what do you do? You move on. Because there's always somebody else that can do the job as well. And so when you're building your business and growing your business, you want to make sure that you're hiring not just people who are highly skilled, but also people who are good people. There's, it's just as easy to find a good person who can do the job as it is to find a bad person who can do the job. Yeah, 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 100%. Chris, we spoke about the lessons that you learned from Jim Rohn. Uh, sorry, from, uh, from Zig Ziglar. Now, what yeah. did you learn from the man Jim Rohn? In the, in the early days? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, always, I, I know Tony a little bit. I don't know him that well. We haven't really run in the same circles much, but I, I always think it's kind of funny. We're sort of bookends of Jim's life because when Jim was younger, he took uh, Tony under his wing and gave Tony his first job. And, and then the last seven years of his life, I was able to spend with him. And, and uh, Jim, it, it's interesting contrasting Jim and Zig because Zig was a, a very dynamic, loud, uh, back. He was a back slapper. He'd come up and he'd slap him. How are you doing? And he'd say, Good, Zig. How are you doing? He said, I'm better than good. If I was any better, I'd have to be twins. You know, he was really gregarious and loud and overt and and all that. And and Jim was more like your college professor. He was quiet and he'd put those eyeglasses at the end of his nose and he'd look out over his eyeglasses and he'd speak softly and quietly and, you know, those kinds of things. And Zig loved to be around people and, and was an extrovert and Jim was more of an introvert. And I think one of the things that I really realized about, about working with both those guys, the lesson that I've learned most is contrasting the two people in that, you know, sometimes you say, well, if I'm going to be successful in this business, you have to have this personality, right? You know, you got to be an extrovert. Well, you don't have to be an extrovert. Jim spoke uh, the last year that he was alive and traveling. He spoke in 28 countries. 
Um, I've never spoken in 28 countries in one year, right? I mean, I've never even come close to 28 countries. I think the most countries I've ever spoken in one year was four or five countries in one year, right? So here he is, 77 years old, top of his game, legendary. You know, you ask almost anybody in personal development who's who's one of the greatest guys of all time. Everybody mentions Jim Rohn. And, um, and he was an introvert. He was a quiet guy. Uh, he didn't like large crowds, you know, Jim would, or, uh, Zig would get there early and, you know, talk and shake hands and almost like a politician, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. And, and Jim would come down the elevator, you know, five minutes before his speech and he'd be quietly ushered into the green room. And not that he didn't like people or anything. He's just a quiet, more introverted type of person. You know, Zig has had a couple of autobiographies and, and biographies written about him. And I begged Jim to let me write his biography of his life. You know, he did the program uh, Art of Exceptional Living. I wanted to call it Jim Rohn, The Exceptional Life. And he was just pro- too private. He didn't want to do it. He's like, no, I, I'm not interested in, in telling my story. And, you know, he's just a, a more of a private, quiet individual. So one of the things that I would say to the people who are listening to the podcast is, is don't don't frame yourself in based on your personality. You know, if you're a quiet person or, or more on the timid side, and I don't mean timid in negative sense. I mean, timid just in terms of you're not, you're not like running around shaking hands and you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're not the loud one when you walk into a room, it's okay. You know, God creates all different kinds of personalities and, and different people. If we were all the same people and all the same personality, it would, uh, you know, it, it would get pretty boring in this world. So there's a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of, uh, of personalities, and you're okay. If you're a loud type today, that's great. Use that to your advantage. If you're the quiet, more thoughtful type, use that to your advantage. You know, how many times have we been sitting in a meeting and there's loud people and there's quiet people, and so the loud people are like, here's what we got to do, and, and you get good ideas from them, right? They're like, we got to do this, we got to do that, and here's an idea, and, you, and they're great. They create energy. But then what always happens is, is there's the one or two people that sit there quietly in the meeting. And what happens is, is at the end of the meeting, we all turn to them and go, so what do you guys think? And then they say, well, you know, I've been listening to all this. And, you know, I like what Sue said and I like what Tom said, but, you know, I was thinking more about this. And and so louder people come, they come with their power, right? More of an overt power. Quiet people, then we listen to them because we realize they've been giving it a lot of thought and, and giving it a lot of, uh, they're going to bring a lot of wisdom to the table. So don't framework yourself into whether you can be successful or not based on your personality because uh, all sorts of personalities become successful in this world. Yeah, I love this, Chris. I love this. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, everybody is a piece of the puzzle. And we're all just as important yeah. as each other. We bring something different to the table, right? We're, it's like, we're like the spices of life. It's, it's a variety that uh, makes this world an interesting place. <laughs> yeah, if, if everybody was garlic, we wouldn't want to eat the food, right? You know, you got to have a little garlic, you got to have a little onion, you got to have a little oregano, you got to have it all, right? <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Excellent, Chris. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you jumping on the call with us today. Uh, we're just approaching the end of this interview now. And now, how do we get hold of your books or your audios? Or where are you online? How can we uh, hear more of Chris Widener? Well, I'm all over online, but uh, you can always go to Amazon. That's the best place to go to, or or whatever you know online bookstore you use. But you can just search my name, Chris Widener, and it's spelled W-I-D-E, like the word wide with a ner on the end, N-E-R, Widener. 
Um, you can find me on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Chris Widener speaker. You can find me on Twitter, which is at Chris Widener. And then uh, Periscope. I started using Periscope a little bit, and I think it is also at Chris Widener. Um, so Periscope.com, and you can just search Chris Widener. But uh, Twitter, I, um, I do a lot on Twitter, a number of posts every day, and we, I have a team of people that are putting out good, uh, good stuff in, in terms of good articles and good videos and things like that. We call the, uh, the Internet for some of the best stuff. And, and then I'm also uh, on that account, and I tweet some personal stuff uh, pretty regularly. And so Facebook is uh, Facebook.com forward slash Chris Widener Speaker. Twitter's at Chris Widener. Excellent, Chris. How do you find Periscope? Uh, I like Periscope. I mean, I mean, if you think about the technology, it's absolutely amazing, right? You know, anywhere in the world, I pull my phone up, hit a button, and I'm streaming live to anybody anywhere in the world. I mean, how crazy is the world that we live in now and the technology and the capabilities? It's just amazing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just imagine what, like, Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar would be doing nowadays if they had this technology. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's for sure. Chris, uh, do you have any books that you would recommend to the listeners that are looking at, you know, stepping up and achieving a high level of success or, or stepping up more as an entrepreneur and building their business? Like, what are some books that have really impacted your life? Well, I'll tell you one book that I want to recommend of my own, and then I'll give you some other books that I would suggest because I really love one of my books. I mean, I, I like all my books. I love one of my books. It's called The Angel Inside. Michelangelo's secrets for following the passion, following your passion and finding the work that you love. And uh, it was number two on the Wall Street Journal, number seven on the New York Times when it premiered back in, uh, I think, 2007. Um, it's a short little story. It's sort of in the vein of uh, Ogmandino and, and those kinds of books. It's called The Angel Inside. If I recommend any other books, um, I like uh, The Psychology of Success by Brian Tracy is, is amazing. Um, certainly The Magic of Thinking Big. Uh, by David Schwartz is is an amazing one. Um, Richest Man in Babylon, of course, is is really great. And Think and Grow Rich. I mean, some some of the standards you probably hear this from a lot of your different uh, guests that you have on. A lot of the same books pop up. But uh, if I had to recommend just one book, uh, you know, I always start with The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz, which a lot of people have read, but then a lot of people have never even heard of. Uh, Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I interviewed Kevin Harrington, who's the guy that created uh, As Seen on TV, oh, the infomercials, and um, yeah. and yeah, 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 and he was on Shark Tank. Yeah, he said the uh, Think and Grow Rich and the Magic of Thinking Big. So you guys have some similarities and and find inspiration and in similar things. So that's awesome. And you know, I, I think around about eighty percent of the uh, books that I mentioned, Think and Grow Rich is in there. That's for sure. It's a, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, excellent, Chris. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, we're wrapping up this interview and I always ask this question. This is the ending question for the interview. And the question is, if you were to deliver your yep. last 30-second speech to the okay. world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? I would say, Jim Rohn and I wrote in our book, The 12 Pillars, that you cannot determine how long you live, but you can determine how well you live. And if you're sitting here today, you don't know if you're going to live another day or another 10 years, or another 40 years, because there's no guarantee on life. But there's one guarantee, and that is that you get to get up every single morning, you get to make your mark on the world, you get to choose how you're going to live, you get to choose what kind of impact you have, you get to choose whether you're going to be a giver or a taker, 
And no matter what happens in terms of how long you live, if you get up every day and you decide that you're going to be a giver and you're going to make your mark in the world, then it doesn't matter whether it's a day or 10 years or 30 years. At the end of your life, when you take your final breath, you'll know that you've done your best and you'll know that you've made your mark on the world. And that's really the only thing that matters no matter how long you live.